So today is Catalyst birthday. And on a birthday party, you have to play games. So I've got a game here that I would like someone to come up and play. My YD training tells me you should always tell people what they're volunteering for before they volunteer. <laughs> oh, who's for? Oh, Ruben, come on up. You don't even know what you have to do. Okay, we're going to see how quickly Ruben can put this puzzle piece together, okay? So, Kel, you tell Ruben when to start and then go for it. Ruben. Go, Ruben, go, Ruben, go, Ruben. 14.1, well done, Ruben. But now we're going to change things up. Okay. So, we're going to take your glasses off. We're going to do exactly the same thing. Now, I realize I've taken your glasses off, but I'm going to blindfold you anyway. Okay. Okay, go, Ruben, go, Ruben, go, Ruben, go, Ruben. You can stop now. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Ruben. Now, I've got a couple of questions for you, Ruben, first. Like, come on up here. So, what was the major difference you felt between the first and the second? I really more thought about feeling in the second one. Mm hmm. And was, which one was easier? First one. First one? Fantastic. So not only do we have games when we have a birthday, but we also have songs. And if it's one of my birthdays, I always have a theme. Matt's laughing because it's true. My mum always had a theme. Whenever we had a birthday, there was a theme and all the games and everything like revolved around the theme. Oh, when Daniel was in, onto Sonic the Hedgehog, we had a Sonic the Hedgehog theme. So we're gonna see, I'm going to play you a song. I want you to see if you can after this, because it's going to be really, really hard to work out what the theme for this morning is, okay? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Indian sisters Sonia and Anita have never seen their own mother's face. Their desperate parents turned to the nonprofit 202020 for a miraculous 15 minute operation that only costs $300. So, does anybody want to guess when we come to Mark what is the theme, Hannah? Yeah. Being blind and then being able to see. If the, those of you who've read Mark 8, and I really hope that you guys are continuing to read as we go along because it's fantastic to be able to know what's coming up. Um, and so as we look at Mark 8 today, what we will find is that we see a lot of people with different kinds of blindness. And I want to have a look at what those different kinds of blindness are because I think that there are things for us to say. And with these blindness, I think that actually each one of us sometimes are blind just like this like these people. Um, now, I have actually, even though I wear glasses, I can still see. Like, I can see without glasses, but it's much, much clearer when I've got glasses on. And if there was, like, words up the back, it would be hard for me to see. Um, but for some people, blindness is the reality. Um, but let's have a look at Mark 8 and see the different types of blindness we can find here. 
So in Mark 8, these are the stories or these are the headings that we find in Mark 8. So we have the feeding of the 4,000. We have the Pharisees demanding a miraculous sign. We've got the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod. We've got Jesus healing a blind man. Peter's declaration about Jesus. Jesus predicts his death. And then I added this heading, this heading I've never found in the Bible, but I've just called it a follower of Jesus, just because I wanted to break up Mark 8 a tiny bit differently than um, before. So we're going to start with the feeding of the 4,000. So with the feeding of the 4,000, there's a crowd. And how many people are about there? About 4,000 people. Why it's called the feeding of the 4,000. Jesus says to his disciples, I have compassion on these people. They've been with me for so long. If I send them home, they're going to get faint. And who knows what's going to happen to them. So we need to find some food. So his disciples say, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? This story, if you've read Mark 8, is really very familiar. Because in Mark 6, we have the feeding of the 5,000. Now, some people say maybe this is just a copy of the same story. There's some, a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences. So we know the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 are actually different stories. The thing is, this has already happened. Jesus has already fed people with very little food. And in this case, there's like seven loaves of bread that's found. And Jesus goes along with the seven loaves of bread of praying, of breaking it up, and of everybody being fed. The disciples surely should have remembered. If that had happened to you, would you remember? If I had some food here, like we're going to have lunch afterwards. If I had like five sausages, and I go, with my these five sausages, I'm going to feed all of you, you would go, oh, great, we're going to go home hungry. What happens if you didn't go home hungry and there was more left over than even the five sausages that I had to begin with? You would be like, wow, we're never going to forget that. The disciples in the same situation should have said, in my mind, hey, Jesus, you fed people before. This is even less than the people you fed before. You can do it again. So if you want to feed them, go ahead. Do it. But they didn't. They had the same question that they had in the feeding of the 5,000. Then we get on to the Pharisees. So Jesus leaves the 4,000, all being well fed, and again, food's left over. And the next part of Mark is when the Pharisees demand a miraculous sign. So the Pharisees go to Jesus and they say, we want a sign from heaven. All the things that they heard that Jesus had done all the things that they'd seen Jesus have done up to this point was not enough for them. Now, when the Pharisees said, I want a sign from heaven, pretty much what they're saying is, we want something that is so amazingly miraculous that it, like, we cannot deny it's from heaven. They wanted something big and huge. Healing wasn't enough for them. Feeding people with little food wasn't enough for them. And Jesus says, when he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such sign. Now, when it says he sighed deeply in his spirit, that was distress. He's like, why are they asking for a miraculous sign? I cannot believe that we're at this point again. 
surely they should have seen what I have done already. But they were blind. They could not see what God had already shown them, what was right before them time and time again. They'd been following Jesus around. It's not like they'd never seen Jesus do a miraculous sign before, but it wasn't good enough for them. I said, we want something bigger and grander, then we'll believe you. No, they really didn't. They really just wanted to have another thing to hold against Jesus. And so they were trying to trap him, as we know from other times in Mark. But they didn't get it. They were completely and utterly blind to who Jesus was. And then he goes back into the boat and he left the Pharisees behind and he crosses to the other side of the lake. But his disciples had forgotten to bring any food and they only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. So the disciples thought that Jesus was saying, oh no, beware of the bread that the Pharisees and the others gave you and talking about literal bread. But Jesus wasn't talking about literal bread. So he says, Jesus knew that they were, what, he, what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? And so again, we get a picture of Jesus' frustration, of actually saying to the disciples, don't you get it? How blind are you? You have eyes, can't you see what's been happening? You've got ears, can't you understand what's going on here? This is not about what is before you. This is about something greater and you still don't get it. When I fed 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? Twelve, they said. So we know that they didn't actually forget about the 5,000 people being fed before because they knew straight away that it was 12 baskets that were left over. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet, he asked them. We see in Mark 8, it's a really pivotal point in the story of Mark. As we've mentioned before, Mark isn't chronological. The reasons that Mark has put the stories in the order that he has is to make a point. And in Mark 8, there's a critical point where there's a change. There's a change between we see all the things that Jesus has done, then in Mark 8, we see Jesus actually saying, okay, are we getting it? Like, what is going on here? And then we will see as we follow on up to Mark 16 that there's actually a deliberate change in the things that Jesus talks about and the focus that he actually has. And so Mark 8 is a really deliberate point of Mark saying to all his readers, do you get it? Do you get who Jesus is? Can you see who he is? And then what are you going to do about what you're seeing? Because that is the point of all of Mark, is to say, Jesus is the Messiah. This is why he's the Messiah. How can you not follow him? And in Mark 8, we see these stories deliberately lined up to say, have you got it? Can you see? Are you still blind? Do you see who Jesus actually is? And then we have this fantastic story of Jesus actually healing a blind man. Some friends bring a blind man to Jesus. 
that's not that unusual. Jesus takes the blind man's hand and actually leads him out of the village and he spits on the man's eyes. He lays hands on him and asks, can you see anything now? The man looks around. Yes, he says, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again and his eyes were open. His sight was completely restored and he could see everything clearly. Now, if you actually line up all the times that Jesus heals, you'll find that most of the time Jesus heals and it is an immediate healing. But in this, we actually find that Jesus doesn't heal immediately. He heals partially and then completely. Now, partly I think that seems to prove that Jesus can heal in whatever way he wants to. And if you line up all the healings that Jesus did, there's no pattern to them. I mean, like there is pattern in terms of faith and Jesus and God. But you can't say, if I spit on Pete's eyes and place my hands on him, then he will have sight. I know you have sight now, but aren't you glad I'm not going to do that? You can't, you know, like that's not, that's not the point that Jesus is making here. So why is there only partial healing to begin with? I would like to put it to you, it's to actually make a point. And the point in Mark 8 is, sometimes we see things, but we don't see them as clearly as we should. And that's where the disciples find themselves. They've been with Jesus. Jesus has done all these miraculous signs, and Jesus is saying to them, do you still not get it? Do you not know what's going on here? And then from after this story about healing the blind man, we get to Peter's declaration about Jesus. So Jesus says, who do people say I am? Which is a really easy question for people to answer. If I said to you, what do people think about Catalyst? That's a whole lot easier to answer to what do you think? Because then it's more personal. You've got to actually share what you really think. When if it's just out there, you can say whatever you want to because it's not you that's saying it, it's just people saying it. So Jesus starts with where people out there, who do they say I am? And then he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody yet. So Peter clearly sees Jesus as the Christ. He states it, he knows it. He says, other people think that you're Elijah or John the Baptist raised from the dead. Like there's other things that people say you are. But I, Peter, know that you are the Christ. I see clearly who you are. Or does he? Because straight after that, Jesus begins to tell them that the Son of Man is going to suffer. He tells them the many terrible things, that he's going to be rejected, that he um, will be killed, and three days later he will rise again. And he talks about this openly with his disciples. In other Gospels, we get more detail about some of the things that Jesus actually says in this space. But Mark just tells us that Jesus is telling us this, not the detail of it, because that's the way that Mark is most of the time. So as he's saying this, Peter takes him aside and begins to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus, you're not going to die? That's ridiculous. Why are you saying such a thing? And Jesus says, turns around, looks at his disciples, and then reprimands Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. Yes, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not 
from God. Peter went, Jesus dying? No, 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 no. That's not the way this story is meant to end. If Jesus is coming to save us, of course he's going to take over the Romans or he's going to do more. He's not going to die. Like, that's a ridiculous ending to the story. But Jesus clearly says, you are not seeing things. You're blind. You're seeing things from a human perspective. You're not actually seeing them from God's perspective. Just before, you're saying, I'm the Christ. And now, you're not seeing things clearly, Peter. So how... Do you see? I think that's a question that Mark asks us in Mark 8. How do you actually see? Because all of us, even if we are physically blind, we have spiritual eyes and we see things differently. Some people, God does something and the next time that same similar situation comes along, we don't have the faith to believe that God's going to do what he did before. I'm sure that everybody here, or I hope that everybody here, God has answered something that you prayed for. God has been faithful to you. He has proven that he knows what he's doing. But how many times does something happen and we go, oh, God, I don't know, are you going to come through? Oh, and we start to worry and we start to stress because we forget, we don't see what has just happened and gone, oh, because I see God did that, of course he's going to do this. God fed 5,000 people, 4,000 people, that's nothing. And he had less to feed 5,000 than he has to feed the 4,000. But often, we don't see. We're so in the here and now, we forget what God has done. And we get blind to our circumstances and forget. We don't see it. So maybe that's the situation you find yourself in. You're forgetting what God did. You're forgetting who he is. Because he's still the same. When he answered that prayer, he's still the same God that you're praying to now. He's that sign you're looking for. Some of us, and I find when I was thinking about this, I'm all of this at different times in my life. But there are some of us who go, that isn't good enough, God. The fact that you did that, I need something greater. If only, God, you would write it in the heavens, then I would believe. Then I would do it. Like the fact that you've confirmed it, the fact that I have peace, the fact that someone else came and said, Tan, you should do that, that's not good enough for me. I need it written in black and white flames, and then I'll believe. I'm not seeing all these little things, God. They're too little for me. And I sure that some of you have been in that situation where what God is doing and what he has done isn't good enough for you. Because you're blind to see sometimes even God working. You need something big and huge and amazing and then I'll step out for you, God. Then I'll do what I hear that I know you're saying it, God, but if you really are, like, you know, like make the fleece dry or wet and then make the fleece, anyhow, do it the other way around. We need something big and huge because the Holy Spirit speaking to me isn't enough. Sometimes we're so blind to what God is actually showing us that all we want is some big, huge sign. And I think God says the same thing to us that he said to the Pharisees. I'm not going to give you any more. Sometimes I've already given you what you need. 
Now, the great thing is God sometimes is gracious and does give us more because that's the kind of God he is, but we'll get to that later as well. And sometimes our hearts are hard. And so even though we've got eyes and even though we can hear, we actually just don't get it. Because God is speaking and God is saying things, but we're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And sometimes it's because we actually don't want to see and we don't want to hear. And so we're blind to what God is saying and doing because we actually just don't want to open ourselves up to see that God might be actually saying something in that space. Sometimes we might be like the blind man who partially sees. We don't have the full picture, but we can see men who are walking around like trees. And sometimes that's a good place to be because at least we're seeing something. But God wants to touch us that second time so we can see all that he has for us. He doesn't want us just to live in, oh, well, this is enough. I'm happy with trees. I'm happy just to see trees that look like people because that's better than darkness, which it is. But if we allow God to actually speak more, he can actually allow that, that half-blindness to become fully seen. And sometimes we say, Jesus, you are the Christ. I know who you are. I see clearly who you are. But I don't get what you're doing, God, and so I really think I should change what you're doing. My point of view is not your point of view, God. I think you're the Christ. I think you're Lord. I want to follow you. But you must be wrong when you say that because there's no way, Jesus, you're going to die. And we have our own point of view, even though we know who Jesus is, instead of wanting God's point of view. And we don't see the whole picture. If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. You try to hang on to your life, but you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you profit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is probably a well-known passage. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you actually have to give up your own way of seeing things and see things God's way. And that is the point that Jesus is trying to get his disciples to come to. The way that you see things may not be the way that God sees things. And so whose eyes are you going to trust in? I want to read this again, and I just want you just to close your eyes. I'm going to read these verses, but I want to read it from the message. So the message version says this. Calling to the crowds to join his disciples, he said, Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do you to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you even trade for your soul? If any of you are embarrassed over me and the way I'm leading you when you get around your fickle and unfocused friends, know that you will be an even greater embarrassment to the Son of Man 
when he arrived in all the splendour of God, his Father, with an army of holy angels. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we need to see things the way that he sees things. Not half see them and half not. To not forget the things that he's done in the past and remember that he is doing the same things now as he did before. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. If any of you want to follow me, you must give up your own ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. The great news is, even with the disciples, Jesus didn't say, bad luck, sorry, you're not seeing things the way that I want you to see them, so I'm giving up on you and moving on. And if you know the end of the story, the disciples didn't get who Jesus was until he actually died and came back alive again. That's when they went, oh, this is what you're talking about. It's when the Holy Spirit came upon them and they went, oh, now we have power. Now we have, we can see clearly. Peter like cut off the ear of the guy that was coming to arrest Jesus. Even though Jesus had said many times, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be killed. And Peter's still like, no, you're not, I'm going to save you. Jesus always comes back for a second touch when we need it. He never leaves us half seeing. He never just spits in our eyes and lays hands on us and we are left just seeing things as trees when we could see them as people. Because that is the great God that we serve. And so no matter how you see things at the moment, if we're not seeing them as clearly as we need to be, God will touch us. He will do whatever he needs to do so that we can see him clearly because he doesn't hide himself from us. God's word tells us that if we draw close to God, he will draw near to us. And what that really means is you take one step towards God and like he will come running the other way. If you think of the parable of the prodigal son, that's a perfect example of what God does. If we're blind and we're not seeing things, and even if we don't want to see, even if we've gone, my heart is too hard and I just don't really want to know what God is saying at the moment. Like, well, I know if I hear, I'm going to have to obey, and I actually don't want to do that, so I just want to stay where I am. As soon as you turn around and face the other way and say, boy, yeah, God, I really do need to hear from you, he's like looking for you like the prodigal father is. He's like watching and watching and watching. And as soon as he sees you far off, what does he do? He runs. He runs as fast as he can because he wants you to know him as fully as you possibly can. I don't know what kind of blindness you are facing at the moment. It may be that you need God to remind you that he is the same God that answered that prayer as the prayer you're praying now. It may be that he needs to remind you that he is actually showing you the signs that you need. You don't need anything bigger. You don't need anything greater. You have everything that you need right now. It may be that God is saying, hang on, you need to see things from my perspective, not from yours. I need to die. It's for your benefit that this happens, even though you don't get it. It could be that you are seeing things, but you feel like it's only half. You feel like people are trees and you just can't see clearly. I want to just tell you right now that I am certain that God doesn't want to leave you there. 
He does not want to leave us blind. He always wants us to see him clearly. He wants us to know what his will is. He wants us to know how his kingdom looks so that we can walk in his ways. He doesn't want that to be this big, old, oh God, what are you saying? I don't know what you're saying. Oh no. If we truly want to hear from God, he will answer us. He always does and he always will. I wanted to finish on a song, but I can't sing and I couldn't find a YouTube clip that I liked. And I won't sing for you, don't worry. But there's a really old song, like it's from the 80s, so I know some of you weren't even born then. But there was a song by a singer called Amy Grant, and it's called Father's Eyes. But the chorus says like this, I want my father's eyes, eyes to see the good in things when good cannot be found, eyes to find a source of help when help is not around, eyes of love, compassion, seeing everything, knowing what you're going through and feeling it the same, just like my father's eyes. Because even when we are seeing clearly, that's really our prayer. Our prayer isn't to see things clearly the way that we see them, but to see them his ways. So the prayer isn't, hey, God, let me see. The prayer is, God, let me see things your way. Because when we see things his way, that's when the joy comes and the peace and the fruits of the Spirit. And that's where we can actually live the life that God's called us to because we're not blind. We can see things clearly and we can walk in his ways, which we know are the best ways for us. I just want us to stop now and just have a few minutes of silence. And I just want you just to ask God, hey, God, what am I not seeing that you want me to see? How am I not seeing the way that you want me to see? And if nothing comes to mind, thank God. And if something comes to mind, thank God. Because we want to be people that see things the way that he sees things, not see things the way that we think they should be or the way that other people see them. We want to have his eyes. We don't want to be blind to things. So just spend a few moments and just say, God, am I blind in some way? And if I am, can you touch me again? Can you do what you need to do so I can see clearly? God, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you, God, that you're a God who, when we seek you, that you tell us that we will find you, God. I want to thank you, God, that you are a God who is just waiting for us to see you more clearly, God. That your desire is not for us to walk in darkness, God, but to walk in your light. That, God, that you desire for each one of us to know you more, to know what you're saying, to know the life and the purpose that you have for us, God. And so I just really want to pray, God, today that you would just lift the blindness that we, are, that we do have, God. Whatever area that has come to mind, God, that you would just touch us, Lord. That you would reveal yourself to us, more, God. That you would show us where that blind spot may be, God, that we may not even be aware of, Lord. Because we don't want to just see people as trees, God. We want to see them as you see them, God. We don't want to just half know that you were the Christ. But then the next morning, have you say, you're not seeing things the way that I see them. You want to be people that say, your will be done. You want to be people that know what your will is and walk in your ways, God. So I want to thank you, God. I want to thank you that we have your word and your spirit, God. And your word and your spirit just do such a great job in leading and guiding 
into all righteousness, God. Not part, but all, God. So you allow us to see you fully, God. And so reveal yourself to us more and more, God. In your name, amen. But just imagine for a moment what it would be like if we as a church and you as an individual could see things the way that God saw them. The way that you see other people, the way that you see situations, the hope and the joy that you would be able to see, because that's what God always sees. He always sees the best. And what an impact you would have on the people that you know and meet if you could speak what God sees into their situation. And Mark is telling us that pretty much the only way to do that, unfortunately, is to give up yourself. That's the ending of Mark 8. If you want to follow me, if you want to see things the way that I see things, if you want to not just be half-hearted, self-sacrifice is the only way. Not I'll do it when it's helpful, not I'll do it when it's convenient, not I'll do it on a Sunday and the rest of the week's my own time, God. But he clearly says, if you want to follow me, you have to give up what you want and take up what I want. But the thing is, there is so much joy in that. It's just that we in our human nature go, oh, really? Really? Can't I just keep what I want a little bit and do what you want mostly? A follower of Jesus is someone that does what Jesus wants us to do in every moment. Now, the thing is, none of us is there. And I'm sorry if you thought you were. If you thought you were like someone who always did what Jesus wanted you to do, you're not. The reason Jesus came and died is because we will never perfectly be able to do what Jesus wants us to do. But the Holy Spirit came and Jesus died and rose again so that we can become more like who Jesus wants us to become. And the hope is when you look back over the last year, that you look back and say, yes, I have actually grown. Not that I'm perfect, not that everything's happened, but there's actually growth. That's what you want to see every year. Some people say, oh, I don't like birthdays. I don't like to be reminded that I'm getting older. And I've said to many people, well, you have two choices. You get older or you die. Like that's the two choices that you have. That's true. If you're not getting older, that's the only choice you have. But the hope and the desire is that as you look back over the last 12 months, as we look back at the last 12 months as a church, we can say we have grown. That we are different and we are different in the right direction as to where we were 12 months ago. Not that we've made it, not that everything is the way that God wants it to be yet, but that there's growth. Um. Because when Jesus comes again, that's when perfection happens. Um, but the hope and the desire is that we are always growing. We are always becoming more and more of the people that God wants us to be in the church that God wants us to be. Um, and so let's continue to pray that God will show us, that God will clearly help us to see the areas in our lives that he wants us to grow, the areas of the life of the church that he wants us to grow in, so that we can become more and more people that clearly see things the way that God sees them, to have his eyes and not our own.